0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Welcome to the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson, uh, joined today by Brett Sayer of Baseball Prospectus. and. Brett is someone that I've been playing dynasty baseball with for a very long time and about a month ago, in fact, almost a month ago today on March 1st, uh, he uh, called me and we, we had a talk about uh, starting a, a expert dynasty league uh, that would be unlike the other expert dynasty leagues we had played in Uh, and Brett came up with a bunch of cool rules uh that that really make this league unique it's the highlander dynasty invitational um but since brett like you came up with uh 90 of this uh i kind of want to just give you the floor first and just sort of say like what was the genesis of this um how long had you been sort of thinking about these specific rules uh and what what's the overall purpose here
2: sure um happy to be happy to be on with you as always james the um yeah it stemmed from it stemmed from a lot of thoughts over the last couple of years you know james you've been in uh in tdgx with us for a while which is the dynasty guru expert league which is kind of the um you know I, i i don't claim to know all of the uh expert leagues out there but um I mean, it was really designed to be the first kind of true expert Dynasty League. And we launched it in 2013 or 2014. And it was, you know, it was successful in its purpose for a while. Um, And the, you know, it kind of fell into a lot of the same trappings that a lot of Dynasty Leagues fall into, where you have uh, have sort of... you have owners that end up you know kind of waning in interest a little bit uh and partially because there are uh, a handful of teams that are just in there kind of hustling a little bit more than everyone else and figuring out how to make trades with the right teams and uh, it eventually uh it, it eventually even if it doesn't break the league it makes the league less enjoyable for the people in it. and as it makes the league less enjoyable, you get less engagement with the people in it. And we've been struggling with that for a little while. And TGX is still going, and I think there's value in it still going. but we create I created those rules you know eight eight, nine years ago now, and it's a it's a different it's a different world that we live in. There's a lot more dynasty coverage. There's a lot more dynasty players um and the strategy is a little bit more uh, more defined which means that the leagues that get created now I think need a little bit more a little bit more structure around them to kind of build and foster more of that engagement and that was really you know James that was really what we talked about in that conversation is not necessarily you know we didn't come up with, We didn't come up with all of these rules on on day one it was really more conceptual that we wanted to build a league that was that that showcased strong dynasty players and dynasty valuations for people who are playing in their own dynasty leagues to help to help with um you know to help with their approaches as they look at their own home leagues Uh, but to also make it a really sustainable league that uh, that really drove a lot of a lot of engagement and a lot of excitement so we we put some interesting twists into it which is uh which is kind of right up is right up both of our alleys so it's uh it's it's been fun to develop this but we've got um you know we've got a very kind of interesting keeper structure in this league we've got uh We've got player designations, which we'll—I'm sure—we'll talk through uh, because that, you know, has impact on the initial draft. And we also have rules around what happens to teams when they win, uh, which is kind of which is kind of fun because you know when the reality is is that once you've built a really really great team in a dynasty league, it's really easy just to kind of stay on autopilot and continue to win a league, but. If there's something in the rules that you know, kind of knocks you down a peg or two after you win, it increases the challenge, even for the teams that build those those super teams, uh, because, you know, to win to win three years in a row in a regular dynasty league is something that you do see on a, on a somewhat regular basis. If you win three years in a row in Highlander Dynasty League, you have done something very, very special and you have overcome certain obstacles that are there to, uh, uh, you know, not to prevent people from doing so, but just to make it a little bit harder.
1: Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, with these, this constitution is so cool and so fun to me. Uh, and I'll be, I'll be linking to the the constitution and the, the show notes to this episode and, and probably tweeting it out as well. But, um, it is there, it is a little complicated, but, uh I think I, I come back to like one one conversation we had where um you were you were kind of laying out like what you wanted this league to be and we wanted it to be something that kind of rewarded every sort of skill there is in dynasty. Uh you know, trading, um player evaluation, long term player evaluation, drafting, um you know, just so many different elements uh, that you have to be good at to, to win a league like this, and I think that the rules have um, really been kind of constructed in that way. And it's not a it's not a perfect format for for every dynasty player. Um, I think you and I really are kind of aligned on what we were looking for, and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily. Um, I think you and I would kind of had it with sort of the the old dynasty structure uh to some extent especially as it as it pertained to to an expert league like this and i i think we've done a a really good job of putting together uh 20 really strong owners but i think the beauty of this constitution is that uh even if you know a couple of the owners end up maybe you know not being as active or, or aren't as strong as as maybe the top owners it's just going to be really hard uh, for that to weaken the league in a way that it that it would a, a traditional league. Um,
2: yeah, I, th- I think we uh, I, I think we <laughs> we talked about it as almost like a dynasty decathlon where there's just different. You're absolutely right. There are different skills that you need to be good at in in dynasty leagues, and the reality is that when you have a league that basically has no guardrails. And it's just a pure straight dynasty league. There are, there are, in the, there's really old, always one skill that rises to the top more than anything else. And that is the, that is kind of the hustle trading aspect of things. And there's, there are some people that we know that are very, very good at that. And it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely a great skill. And it's absolutely something that is, um, that is going to be very useful to people who play in Highlander dynasty league, but it is not the only thing. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's important. And I think it's, uh, I think, I think that's really the, the point of this whole thing.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, I think it's funny cause you and I, you and I both are not, uh, the most active traders. Uh, and so we were kind of aligned on that. Um, in terms of what we were trying to accomplish here with with the Constitution, uh, but we also uh, had very sort of similar uh, drafts, at least so far through through twenty rounds, and we'll we'll get to that uh, in a second. But um, uh, first, I want to I want to go to a message from uh, Fantrax. Are you looking for a new platform for your fantasy baseball league? Fantrax is free MLB fantasy league manager is the most customizable, easy to use and feature rich platform in the industry. Fantrax offers the most in-depth player pool in the industry, including minor league players. Fantrax offers dynasty keeper redraft and best ball leagues coming from another service. Fantrax makes the process easy. Fantrax can import any of your current leagues and customize if needed. Sign up for free today and be entered to win Fantrax's MLB game day experience, which includes tickets to any MLB regular season game for your entire league and $1,000 towards travel and accommodations. All you have to do is host your fantasy baseball league on Fantrax to be entered. The more leagues you create, the more chances you have to win. Simply go to Fantrax.com slash and sign up today. All right, Brett. So as I, I mentioned, like you and I kind of have a similar uh, strategy here. You were picking ninth. I was picking 11th um, and and we're going to get into that. But uh, first, you know, this is the the prospect podcast and we've had uh, 80, 82 prospects taken, I think, as as we're recording this year. Uh, we're midway through the 19th round. Uh, you and I have been uh, quite involved in that. Uh, but, you know, the first prospect off the board was Bobby Witt, uh, closely followed by Julio Rodriguez. And I wanted to just quickly touch on those two guys, mostly uh, Rodriguez, uh, you know, Witt has been kind of covered to death. But uh, with just how good Julio has been this spring, uh, not necessarily surprising, but, um, you know, if you drafted Julio or you have Julio in a dynasty league, this is exactly what you wanted to see. Uh, what's your take on whether Julio breaks
2: camp with the big league club this year? I, uh, my, I came into spring, like I think a lot of other people thinking that they're, you know, my, my mental date for when we were going to see him was about June 1st. And that was how I was valuing him for 2022. Uh, he is a very, very special talent um i this is this is funny i we were <laughs> we were right we were writing up the um we were writing up the comments to the dynasty 101 that we published at baseball prospectus. and i wrote the uh the ceiling line for um for Julio Rodriguez and i name dropped Juan Soto in there and i was told by everyone else in the document you can't do that and i was like OK, so I changed the comment to I believe I'm not supposed to comment to Juan Soto, but <laughs> let's just call it J.D. Martinez in his prime, <laughs> which is sure a little bit of a step down. But you get you get the idea. I mean, Rodriguez is uh, Rodriguez is a special hitter in a lot of ways. Uh, his power is has been known for a long time. His approach is great for someone for someone his age. And I think the thing that everyone is kind of realizing now, um, especially as you get some uh, some sprint speed information on him, is that uh, he's kind of a 70 runner now, which is bananas. (laughs) And, you know, that was really when you compare Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt, that was supposedly the differentiator between the two where Witt was a, a guy who could steal, you know, 25, 30 bases. And Rodriguez was more, of, you know, more generally thought of as a, as a low double digit steal guy. Um, but I mean, we put Julio Rodriguez number one as our, our top dynasty prospect and partially for that reason. I mean, he, his game all around is incredible. The speed is, is real. I would not be surprised if we see him stealing 20, 25 bases a season early in his career. Um, and to go with everything else, uh, if he makes if he makes the team out of spring training, i I think I'd be comfortable looking him as a second outfielder in a lot of a lot of deeper leagues uh, because once he comes up, I, I don't think there's any chance he's going back down.
1: yeah, he's he's been my number one guy for a while too. and I, I remember um, like the first time I saw him in person and he stole a base. Uh, you know, the speed jumped out, but also he's six, four, and he's got, uh, just a really long wingspan. And I just, I noticed that he's so good at stealing bases, partly because of that. Like it just kind of gives him Mm -hmm. an extra edge. He's got these long strides. He's going to cover a lot of ground going from first to second. And so, yeah, I think he's just a classic five category guy and like most really, really special prospects it's tough to find a comp that really works because he's just so special that you're not going to find like kind of a perfect one-to-one comp on a guy like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, when I was out in Vegas for, uh, for the main event, um, arguably, you know, top two, top three player in the world, Casey Cha took, uh, Julio Rodriguez, at, in the middle of a, a main event or of a, a $15,000 league. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the sharps are on him. I mean, I think a lot of people are rightfully on him this spring. Uh, he's someone who I also thought was going to be more of a June guy, uh, at the start of spring training. But, um, you know, the more I, the more I see, the more I, uh, just think it would be tougher for the Mariners to keep him down for, for long, uh, Let's move on to uh, CJ Abrams, who's another guy who's been uh, kind of a, a buzz prospect uh, this spring, and someone that you ended up grabbing in the fourth round. Uh, you're picking ninth, like I said, so middle of the fourth round. Uh, you know, I think we we probably are in rough agreement on what CJ Abrams could be long term. I think the interesting discussion is sort of. You know, how desperate are the Padres to get to to kind of get competency um, in their lineup? And, you know, what's that mean in terms of when Abrams debuts? And then
2: is he ready to have success right away? I think the, the thing about Abrams, which which really kind of surprised me off the bat. I mean, you heard when he was drafted, you heard all of the. um you know, all all the stories about his, about his tools, about his speed, about the fact that it wasn't just, you know, he wasn't a speed only guy that he had some, some real pop. I mean, he's not, you know, for, for someone coming out of the draft who you gets touted as like a 40 to 50 steel guy. He's, he's not, he's not small. He's, he's six, two. He's, uh, he's, he looks like someone who can also drive the ball. And he got out there in, uh, he got out there out of the draft as you know, supposedly a somewhat raw player, and was incredible in the complex. Um, and not just from a, not just from a, um, from a showing off his his power and his speed, but his plate discipline was fantastic. And you know, we kind of carried that over a little bit. He's had he's had his share of injury issues so far, and that is that is certainly a concern um but he played as a 20 year old in double a and was a you know was an above average hitter in the league uh plus you know plus his his speed you know he it, in terms of in terms of pacing on this minor league it, you, you know love to do pacing i don't love to do pacing um but he if he had played a full season he would have been a you know, 40 45 steel guy he would have hit 10 homers and uh, he would have done all that as a as a twenty year old. You know, there is there is definitely a really solid approach there, which makes me feel good about his uh, his value in the short term. I think what the Padres ultimately are going to do with him is they the Padres have a very interesting roster and they can move guys around a lot. Um, you know, Abrams is not going to break camp with the team. Uh, I think what will end up happening, especially because the minor league season starts at the same time as the major league season this year, is the Padres are going to figure out where they need to plug holes. And Abrams is capable of playing multiple spots on defense. He can play. He can play shortstop. He can play second base. He can play center field if they throw him out there and let him get comfortable there in the minors. So there's there's no shortage of ways that he can come up and contribute to the uh, to the big league team. But long term, uh, he is. Uh, he is really just a half a step below Rodriguez in wit for me, um, you know, as, as someone who is a, a, another legitimate five category guy with, with really impactful speed.
1: Yeah. I, I think uh, like, you know, you, you mentioned dropping the Juan Soto comp on Julio Rodriguez, you know, I think it's, it's very easy to rationalize a Trey Turner comp on CJ Abrams. Um, but to me, that's, that's maybe. Three years down the road, like I, I think that the missed time with the injuries, um, I and the, and really, if you look at kind of his the amount of reps he's had in full season ball, I, I think he's going to struggle a little bit this year. I do, I do buy that he's got at least a plus hit to a long term, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's it's going to be that right away. So I, I, I could see him being maybe a, a post hype guy next year, who's still. You know, with with that type of speed, if he's getting playing time, he's going to be useful. Um, but I, I don't I don't think he's going to be a a league winner or anything like that this year. Uh, but I do agree that he will probably get a shot uh, at some point. Um, let's let's touch on the the number eight prospect taken in the in the Highlander Dynasty Invitational. Uh, he was taken one pick after C.J. Abrams, uh, O'Neill Cruz, obviously. Um, it wasn't surprising uh, what the Pirates did with him yesterday, and uh, I I don't have any O'Neill Cruz shares, and I play in a ton of leagues, so like my my tweet yesterday uh, admonishing the Pirates wasn't like meant to be self serving or anything, or, or frustration from that. It's just very frustrating to see a team clearly leave one of their best players uh, off the opening day roster for. Uh, just basically monetary reasons, um, but you know how how close do you think Cruz is, um, or I mean, not not how close, but how ready do you think Cruz is to really showcase his uh, pretty unique set of tools uh, when he does get the call?
2: I think he's pretty close to showing what he can do. I, I you know, similar to what you said about Abrams, I think I don't expect Cruz to be a huge contributor right off the bat in terms of overall fantasy value. I think he will absolutely hint at what his ultimately ultimate fantasy value is going to be because he's going to show up on some of these exit velocity leaderboards when he comes up and he's going to hit a couple of, you know, 117, 118 mile an hour homers and people are going to tweet it out and it's going to be a thing. But I think that there's I think he's going to have some issues with contact, at least for a little while. I don't know how much he's he's really going to show on the base pass, even though he does He's got the he's got this the kind of frontline speed to be able to steal bases. But with someone who's so tall, it's really kind of hard to get because Julio Rodriguez is really an unusual example of that and he's three inches shorter than O'Neill Cruz is. It's hard for someone who's as tall as Cruz to get a really good jump and really good acceleration he's the kind of, he's the kind of guy who looks faster in his second 90 feet than his first 90 feet, which, uh, is just, uh, you know, it, it doesn't mean he won't steal bases. It just means that it'll, it won't, it it won't be as much as you would think from the the speed he might naturally have.
1: Yeah. So one, like one thing I've sort of, um, I I don't want to call it an epiphany, but, uh, like I'd always sort of thought that O'Neal Cruz's height would be something uh, that pitchers would be able to exploit. Uh, and the more I watch him, I wonder if it's actually something he is going to benefit from because he's such a good low-ball hitter. And that's that's kind of the natural place you would attack a guy like Cruz is with you know, off-speed stuff below the knees and stuff and you know maybe he will eventually just be be too susceptible to that for it to not be a good strategy but for instance if you're a pitcher like let's just say you're a 6-2 pitcher and you want to throw a fastball up on Cruz that he might swing under you know how how difficult is that going to be to adjust your release point on that pitch you know to, to get it up to where it needs to be so I I'm starting to wonder if maybe that his height could en- end up being something of a, a strength for him, uh, just depending on the caliber of pitcher he's facing. I think obviously there's certain pitchers that, that are going to be able to put the ball wherever they want uh, with a guy like that, but I, it's such a uncomfortable at-bat for the pitcher, I think, when you have a guy that's that big with that type of power and that ability to go hit balls uh, below his knees out. Um, so that's that's something I'm watching with him.
2: Yeah, it's and that is absolutely a great thing to watch. But with, with hitters that are that tall, the, the low pitch becomes really important. And, you know, ultimately, if he can get to the low pitch, there's only one other place that pitchers can go on him that can really trip him up. And if he can avoid getting, you know, it, it's kind of like the, the old Corey Hart thing where, you know, he, uh, in order to get Corey Hart out, you really need to come at him hard inside. And he just could. There was his limbs were just too long to get around on it in a, in a meaningful way, um, and you know he could do it for a little while, but eventually it just stopped. But that's where that's where you're going to have to attack him, and he's going to he's going to need to be able to uh, to to fight that off. It's going to be really. It's he's I love watching unusual players, um, and he is definitely someone who qualifies as as unusual.
1: So uh, the number 27 prospect off the board was uh, someone that I selected, uh, MJ Melendez, in the 10th round. And I've gotten a few questions on this one because I took him uh, well ahead of where I've got him ranked. And people are wondering, like, does that mean he's going to be ranked higher? Yes, yes, it does mean he's going to be ranked higher uh, on the update that will come out before opening day. Uh, I've just really kind of... Um, the more people I talk to, uh, the more I watch him, I I'm a believer in the hit tool. And uh, obviously you, you gotta be a believer in the power. So it's, it's really just, you know, what kind of average is he going to hit for? Um, and I think that they are going to be able to find time for him, uh, at third base and maybe in the outfield, but like, I, I don't see Hunter Dozier standing in the way of MJ Melendez playing almost every day, uh, whenever he gets the call, uh, What did you, what was your reaction? I guess, like, feel free to roast me if you want here, but what was your reaction to me taking Melendez at, uh, as the 27th prospect off the board in the the 10th
2: round here? I, I was, I was a little surprised, not necessarily because I disagree with you on the things that you said about Melendez, more because of the people who were still on the board. And I'm curious as to how. I'm curious to kind of throw it back at you and see what you know see the reasons why you and maybe it is just a a you know a closer to the majors thing and a, more of a flexibility thing. Um, but he went I'm bringing this back up. so Melendez went three prospect picks ahead of Francisco Alvarez, um, a couple more ahead of Gabriel Moreno and about fourteen ahead of Tyler Soderstrom. and these are kind of. This is kind of the group of you know maybe catchers, probably catchers, maybe not catchers, um, but guys who will have catcher eligibility to start their start their careers. I mean, I I know that I am uh, I'm definitely the the high guy on Soderstrom. I have been for for a while. I'm actually surprised I didn't get him, and the league I was a little bummed about it. But um, you know, I I think I would have Melendez behind. I think I would have him fourth of that group of four. Um, but I'm curious to curious to know from you how kind of close those guys are to Melendez in your in your mind.
1: Yeah, so I mean, I think it it does it kind of comes down to hit tool power and proximity. Uh, I think um, you could make a case that Alvarez has as much will will have as much game power as Melendez. Uh, but I just think Melendez is power is such a sure thing and he's i mean yeah like i I just think like if alvarez gets to as much power as melendez in games in the upper levels then great but i i already have seen melendez do it um and then i think moreno and Soderstrom probably project for slightly better hit tools uh moreno actually no moreno projects for a better hit tool um i think Soderstrom is in that ballpark, but when catchers are that far away or just a prospect in general is that far away. I, I don't think Soderstrom has a, has a clear edge over Melendez there, uh, especially just given what Melendez showed last year at, especially, um, especially after getting the bump to triple a. So I just, I think from a tool standpoint, I don't see any of those three as like having, the better hit tool and the better power power tool i think there's moreno probably has the better hit tool um but i think melendez kind of gets the edge for me uh, over the other two guys um and then the the proximity factor especially with a catcher uh like i, I we're, we're going to talk about this at the end of the show but I, like i'm i'm hoping to be competitive next year and melendez is going to get 300 plus plate appearances in the majors this year, in my opinion. So that kind of gives him that year of of kind of getting the growing pains out of the way a little bit. Uh, And then I think of those, you know, I think Soderstrom maybe moves to to first base, but again, he's probably two years behind Melendez. And I I just think Melendez is going to be close to an everyday guy. Um, So I, I think he gets a lot of check marks over those guys, um I know that I'm maybe like people are mad at where I have Francisco Alvarez ranked. Like, I, I just I think he's going to be like a 250 hitter. It's 25 plus homers in that park, and he's two years away, and that's great. But I mean, for a catcher, I, that's you know that's a, a long lead time. So um I just I, I'm a believe like it. It basically boils down to I believe in Melendez's hit tool. I don't. Do you question like the power, or is it just is it more about not not quite buying the hit tool at this point?
2: Uh, for me, it's more. I, I think the power is. I think he's shown the power. I I do question the hit tool a little bit, um, but I mean you can't you can't argue with his performance. I mean I know Soderstrom is the outlier in that group because of the because of the proximity. I mean he's only he's only played in low A, and uh, he's certainly a little ways away. Um, so I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't expect people to, uh, to, to agree that, uh, that, that they would agree, agree, on Soderstrom over Melendez. I think most people would probably take Melendez over him. Um, you know, the other guys, it's just, it's interesting. It's a, it's a, what's really nice is that it's fun to be having a conversation about, uh, strong catching prospects. Cause it feels like we haven't had some in a very long time. So it's a conversation where, uh, it's a conversation we haven't been able to have in a while, but it's a fun one to have. But speaking speaking of uh, speaking of catchers, should I I I just got the ping in my headphones that I'm on the clock in Highlander <laughs> Dynasty. Should I should I make the yeah. should I make the pick live on the show? I think I think so. All right. Well, uh, I am I am going to actually I'm going to stick with one of the themes of what we just talked about and not the prospect theme, uh, but I'm going to take a as long as he is still there, he's still in my queue, right? um uh, no one else. hold on i gotta make sure no one else took him before i before i say this out loud uh no he is right there um i am going to take gary sanchez oh, with boy. my 19th round pick you i i yeah this is kind of my I'm, I'm gonna make a couple of picks like this where i am betting on people who have been disappointing bouncing back to some sort of former level of performance I think Sanchez is a really interesting change of scenery guy. New York just – the New York media just absolutely got on him. Fans got on him. I think he's going to find a much more uh, appealing playing situation in Minnesota. Um, And the power is obviously still still there. And I need a catcher. So, uh, you know, almost 400 picks into this – into this draft i i i kind of like taking a chance on on sanchez he's still only 29. uh so i think there's a you know kind of similar to james i'm not i'm not expecting to win this league in 2022. um you know we both kind of taken a similar number of prospects here but uh sanchez is someone who i think can kind of have a bit of a career resurgence outside of new york and uh you know hopefully will still be a contributor in you know 2022, sorry 2023, 2024, when uh, when I hope to uh, to contend in this league. Well, Brett just took
1: a former Yankee uh, on the clock in on the podcast live. I'm up in two picks. If it gets to me while we're still recording, I will be taking a current Yankee live. Uh, but first, uh, let's head to a, another uh, message from our sponsors. Experience a new way to play daily fantasy sports on Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is an exciting player prop fantasy contest. With Thrive Fantasy, you can eliminate the countless hours of research and focus on only the top-tier athletes that have the biggest impact on the game. Sign up for Thrive Fantasy today and receive a free six-month Rotowire subscription. Here's how you claim your free Rotowire subscription. Visit roadwire.com slash thrive, deposit a minimum of $10, and receive a 100% deposit bonus up to $100 play in your first paid contest and receive a free month free six-month roto subscription all right um let's let's finish up on these these kind of interesting prospect picks here and then we'll we'll get to sort of our our rosters uh through almost 20 rounds of the draft um i uh you know jeremy pena was uh an extremely uh, buzzy prospect when I was out in Vegas for the uh, main event. Um, lots of really sharp players are all over Jeremy Pena. And you, I believe, um, were maybe the first sharp pay- sharp player to be uh, really touting him, at least that I heard. Uh, and that not, I mean, plenty of people have liked Jeremy Pena, but you spent, I believe, $5 on him in the AL uh labor draft and then um he was the number uh 38 overall prospect taken here uh what's the what's the feel on the Jeremy Peña buzz is is 38 is that is that fine has the buzz has it gotten too uh over the top um where do, where do we think Jeremy Peña should be going in a draft like
2: this I, I do not think it has gotten too over the top i've got peña I, I will take all of the paying shares that I can take this year. I think I, I took him, I took him in TGFBI. I took him in labor. Um, I, I I think I took him in a couple, like one or two other leagues so far. It's, this is, this is the problem with us, James, that I can't keep, I'm sure you're the same way. I, I cannot keep a track at this time of year with who's on what roster. I just, I know I have him on about, four or five teams and that's not including the dynasty leagues that i've i've held them on um you know pena is someone who our prospect team at bp has been touting for uh for a couple of years now uh, he is i'm absolutely not comping him to the player but um there's there's definitely a francisco lindor Vibe here, just in terms of how he's viewed from a fantasy perspective. Pena is not Francisco Lindor. He, he will not do those kinds of things at the major league level. But Lindor was touted as a kind of defense, like a really strong defensive player who had okay offensive upside. And Lindor played his way into being an offensive superstar. Pena is kind of it's a it's a full tick below, but it's a similar scale. Pena was a was touted is a strong defensive shortstop um and he has really been working on his offense and the you know the the hit and the power tools have been coming along really nicely as he's been going through the minors and the the, the great thing about pena similar to you know a lindor or other prospects that have that strong defensive background is that they are going to get more chances to succeed offensively at the major league level than other players will because Pena as a as a below average hitter is still an above average regular probably in the majors. Um, but I think there's there's absolutely I, I think it was it was kind of signaled very early on in the offseason that Houston was not going to go out and get someone to like a big name to play over him. You know, I'm really hopeful that they don't do something stupid like play a smaller name over him for a little while. Um, I would really, I, I, there would be a lot of terrible things about seeing Elvis Diaz playing shortstop or or someone else along those lines. But uh, he is he is absolutely someone who I see getting 500 plate appearances this year in Houston. They, you know, it's a great place for his skill set from a ballpark standpoint, uh, and I think he can hit for average and power uh, almost immediately. Uh, so it's it's a very exciting profile. I think thirty-eighth is absolutely fine. I think you could you could argue that he should tick a little bit higher this offseason because of the playing time that he's looking at now. Uh, but I'm I'm excited to see what he can do. He's 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 a good prospect.
1: Yeah, one you know, one difference with obviously Lindor was a more highly touted prospect than Pena, but Pena uh probably I don't know. Um, just from a muscle standpoint, not even close to Lindor. Like Pena is built. Uh, yes, he is. <laughs> he's very, he's very strong. He's he's filled out his frame, uh, and he's you know he's a couple years older than Lindor when Lindor made his debut. But I mean, he's he's bigger than Lindor is today. So um, one thing to keep in mind there. And then uh, I wanted to ask. I mean, you so you took. Nolan Gorman, uh, three picks ahead of him. Mm-hmm. I took Ryan Rocchio, one pick ahead of him. Do you regret taking Gorman ahead of him?
2: I don't. I, I like I like Gorman a lot, and I think Gorman's also looking at a lot of playing time this year. Um, but I, Peña was probably second or third on my queue at that point, and if he had not gone in... Uh, between that and my next pick, he certainly would have been my pick then. Um, so now I, I don't, I, I may choose to regret it in three months, but right now I still, I still feel good about the, 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 the Nolan Gorman pick.
1: So Vidal Bruhan was the 43rd prospect taken. Uh, you mentioned him as, as someone that uh, you thought we should touch on. Uh, what, what kind of stood out to
2: you about this one? So I, Brudon was really really interesting because I had him I had him at the top of my queue for two rounds in a row and I just couldn't do it. <laughs> and you you know when you when when yeah. it gets like that in a draft and I I looked at him and I was like I I had him I'm trying to remember which which rounds it was. I'm pretty sure it was I'm pretty sure it was 11 and 12 or maybe 12 and 13. Uh, where, well, where, he no, so you took, Nolan, go? you took Nolan Gorman ahead of him, and then you took Noah Syndergaard, and then he went right
1: after Syndergaard.
2: Yeah, so it was eleven and twelve. So I the the speed with Bruan is real, but I've I've always had the same issue with him is that I just don't in the back of my mind I just don't think he's going to be able to hit major league pitching, and it's it's been a concern. He's been kind of very hit or miss over his minor league career the rays don't exactly give uh give a ton of playing time to players who uh, have kind of partial skill sets so even when he makes the majors i think he's likely to not be a full-time full-time player i just i i had him there and i i just couldn't i couldn't click the button and i am glad that i didn't because i it that gut feel was the right feel and and you know when when you do rankings like we do i mean you get to a point where you you put together the rankings and then you you have them in action in a draft like this and i think what i realized coming out of this draft is i think Bruan is a little too highly rated in our rankings and that's going to get adjusted um yeah
1: i mean that's that's one of my favorite things about doing these and i mean this is a (laughs) this is a real this is a real draft like this is uh I mean, I can't speak for you. This is probably the the best startup draft I've been a part of uh, on the Dynasty side. And, um, you know, people are, there's money on the line. There's a lot of pride on the line. There were a lot of people trying to be in this league. And so, you know, a guy like when, when you start getting your ranks battle tested, that means a lot. <laughs> and that, like, I, I found myself, um, like there was a point in the draft where I was like, I really want Melendez. Uh, I'm taking him here. Um, I I really want Miguel Vargas. I'm, I'm taking him here. Um, and like, that's going to be kind of reflected in my, my updated uh, rankings. Um, you know, I think we, we got to talk about Khalil Watson. He was the 44th prospect taken and the first uh, prospect from the, uh, this past first year player draft class to be taken. Uh, and obviously he he made waves in the spring. Um, his, his tools, like none, none of this is really surprising from a tool standpoint. Like I think uh, you and I both agree um, that he has maybe the highest ceiling of anyone in that class. Has he moved towards the top of your list for first year player drafts?
2: No, no. I'd still take, I'd still take, say, Suzuki and uh, Marcel Meyer over him at this point. But okay. I think he's, I think he's a comfortable three.
1: Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't counting Suzuki. I guess in the discussion, Suzuki enough. went well ahead of him. Um, yeah, more just kind of the the prospects. Um, Fair enough.
2: Then yeah, I, I had slightly behind Mayer, but I mean, his, he's an exciting player. I, I, I'm. I'm a big. I'm a big fan of Khalil Watson.
1: Yeah, I think just Watson's the type of guy, uh, and this next guy we're going to mention, um, the type of guy where I, nothing would really surprise me in terms of what he does this year. Um, then Uri Perez. Uh, another Marlins farmhand with a very high ceiling was the 45th prospect
2: off the board. What was your reaction to that? I had him very high in my queue at that point and he was someone who I think I would have jumped my rankings a little bit to take if he had fallen another round or so. Uh, I did not get the uh, the chance to do so, but I, his his helium is extremely legitimate and Uh, I think there is a, I think there is a reasonable scenario that has him as, uh, as if not the top pitching prospect in baseball at this time next year, then, then certainly a top three.
1: Well, I mean, you, you missed him by one pick. Um, he was coming your way in the 13th round and. The itch took him right in front of you, and then you uh took your guy, uh, Nick Madrigal. Um, yeah, I mean Perez, it's always dangerous with these guys to get like the hype is the hype is very loud, the hype is very justified. Uh he could break everyone's heart any day, but it does have that feeling of just you know sometimes these pitchers these kind of almost once in a generation guys come around where they're debuting around age 20 and just hit the ground running um Jose Fernandez basically did the same thing uh, about a decade mm-hmm. ago like is that kind of what could be in store in 2023 with Yuri Perez I,
2: it certainly could be um you know as there's there's a certain level of Excitement, but there's also a level of caution that everyone needs to have because we we all remember the names of the guys who were these top fantasy pitching prospects for for so many of these years. Alex Reyes was one. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still waiting on that. Uh, Mackenzie Gore is I, hopefully he's on the way back uh, because he's had a strong spring so far. Uh, but even going further back in time, uh, Taiwan Walker was a huge deal, and he didn't work out the way uh, everyone thought he was going to work out even even Noah Syndergaard, who was uh, who is a similar, you know similarly touted prospect, had some very good stretch of performance, but uh, in his career has not put together the kind of fantasy value that you would want from. Uh, from that kind of uh, top notch prospect. So it's, re- it's really hard. So even if he has this great year this year and turns into this top prospect, there's still so much risk there. Um, but it's hard not to get really excited about him. Yeah. I mean, Dylan Bundy, Forrest Whitley. Uh, uh-huh. Matt there's, Moore, Archie there's Bradley.
1: no shortage of them. It is uh... <laughs> like it. The the Lucas Giolito and Julio Arias are kind of the exception almost to to the rule. Uh, yeah, at this point, and and even with Giolito, it, like he was the worst pitcher in baseball before he put it together. Um, mm-hmm. Ellie De La Cruz, I, I picked Ellie De La Cruz. This is the first time I've rostered Ellie De La Cruz. I got him in the thirteenth round. Uh You wanted to uh, discuss him
2: yeah i think this is i i think it was a shrewd pickup i think de la cruz is someone who is absolutely on the rise right now um he is all kinds of tooled up and uh i i this is this is the kind of pick that uh that i generally like to make where you have someone who is his price was not overly expensive. I mean, he was 40, 47th prospect taken in here and he's got the baseline skill set of someone who could be a top 10 prospect one day. Um, so at, at this point I just thought it was, I thought it was a really nice pick. I, I am, I had other guys in my queue that I liked a little better than De La Cruz. So I was, he was in my queue, but not, not right at the top. And that's just really a matter of personal preference. But I, I was, uh, I, I gave a, a little hat tip when uh, when I when I saw that uh, when I saw that you took him. I think that's going to be. I think it's it's a little risky, but I think there is a good chance that come you know July August, you're you're going to look back and that might be one of your favorite picks of the startup draft.
1: Yeah, I, I heard from a couple people privately about that one. <laughs> um, you know, he I basically what I did with Cruz is I had him or De La Cruz, I had him in my queue. And I was kind of just waiting for the moment where it didn't feel like a reach, and this was that moment for me. I think it was around pick two fifty uh you mentioned like like how when when was the last time you saw a guy like that was just dripping with these kinds of tools where you could just see it like you just see him for three seconds and it's just like holy holy crap,
2: yeah. Yeah. You, you see him and you get it. It's, it's not, it's not complicated.
1: <laughs> um. Okay. So I wanted to talk about Matt Brash really quick. Uh, this was one of the bigger snipes, I guess on me in this one, uh, Jeff Ponce got him as the 51st prospect off the board. Uh, I, I wanted to bring him up just because he's a guy who's going to be a riser on my update and also a guy who I think, uh, people need to be drafting and redraft leagues right now. I think he's going to break camp in that rotation and he, he looks ready to have success. Uh do you have any takes on on Matt Brash?
2: Yeah, my take on Brash is almost the almost the opposite. I I think you I think when it comes to the same time uh you might be really happy you took Ellie LA, LA Dela Cruz. You also might be really happy you didn't take Matt Brash. Okay. Um I I just I don't I don't see him being a consistent major league starter. I think ultimately he, I think ultimately he's going to be a reliever. Um, I just, I don't think that there is enough. I don't think there is enough command there in the profile to, uh, to really get through, um, to get through a life as a, uh, as a major league starting pitcher. Um, you know he's he's certainly been great in spring training, but you know as we know you don't need to have very good command to get by in spring training. Uh, I think he's going to be in for a little bit of a ruder awakening when he uh, when we get into the regular season. And uh, I personally I don't have him as a top one hundred prospect. Um, I have him just outside, but I, I I I will be very curious to see what happens with him because um, you know I I think he's a notably worse prospect than george kirby and uh i now have to look at my sheet to see where to see where kirby went
1: kirby went uh 24.
2: okay so he went notably higher than him which which he should um but uh but yeah i don't i i'm not in on the matt brash bandwagon so i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna sit this one out and see if i have to eat crow on it in the in the middle of the season
1: I like it. Uh, I'm glad we disagreed about a guy. Uh, you know, the command, the command will be kind of the, the make or break thing with him. Obviously. I mean, he, he a lot of, uh, his, like his, his breaking ball is obviously just, um, it's nasty. his, his money maker Um, but he's not going to throw it for strikes a, a, a ton, I don't think. So it's going to just be a question of whether guys can lay off it. Um, but, uh, then, then we get into the, the really interesting stuff here where this is a, a aspect of the league that I think appealed to a lot of people. Uh, every team is allowed to have two open universe prospects if they want. No more than two. They don't have to have two. Uh, and we've seen Tamar Johnson go 58th among prospects. We've seen uh, Drew Jones go 61 among prospects. And you had a... Uh, debate of uh Dylan Cruz versus Jordan Lawler, and you ended up going with Dylan Cruz as the 71st prospect off the board, and then we saw Brooks Lee go 74th. So, what stood out to you about these open
2: universe guys? I think I, I this is one of the things I was most excited about to have in the in in the rules, and I think it's it's done in a really good way because when you have true open universe leagues, um, like we're we're both in in Devil's Rejects, and you have some teams in there where it's pure open universe that are holding on to you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen of these open universe players, and it's just it it makes it less fun for everybody else. And this is part of what we you know this is part of what we talked about like making making this league. Challenging in multiple aspects, so it's not a uh, you can't really take a you know an overall portfolio approach where you take ten of these guys and you see which three of them work out. You got to plant your flag in a couple of them. You got you, <laughs> there's two, um, and these guys the the four that are taken so far are really are really exciting prospects. For me, you know, you talked about Ellie Dela Cruz being the guy who you waited until. Uh, until you thought it wouldn't be a, until, until it didn't feel like a reach to take him. Uh, Dylan Cruz is that guy for me. Um, I, I love Tamar Johnson. He is going to be my number one player in first year player drafts for 2022, but Dylan Cruz is my top open universe player. Um, he is a sophomore at LSU. He has, uh, he's an incredible hitting outfielder. He is, he has exit velocities that are kind of off the charts in NCAA, um, know I kind of view him as having that kind of Chris Bryant uh, college stud bat skill set and I finally gave up on waiting on Cruz and I I snagged him there and I'm very excited about that
1: (laughs) well how about how about this Uh, tomorrow Johnson's gonna get drafted a year ahead of Cruz who gets to the majors first
2: Cruz yeah
1: and like that's that's why <laughs> that's why with, right even with the you know i i haven't decided who my number one guy is elijah green has not gone so far in this draft um but i mean i like it's very easy to get excited about these these prep guys in the upcoming class uh but the elite college hitter is still uh the most coveted uh player type to have in dynasty um in the first year player draft ranks and some some classes don't even have a a guy of cruises caliber and i mean they don't come around that often but uh when they do come around um yeah I, i totally get that uh got another message from a sponsor and then uh brett and i will quickly touch on our specific rosters Baseball is back. That's right. An entire glorious season, all 162 games. And with live events resuming, you can actually be there to catch all the action in person person with Vivid Seats. Every backdoor slider, every round tripper, and every doubleheader can be experienced live. And with Vivid Seats rewards, you can start earning free tickets from your very first purchase. Just buy, collect stamps, and redeem. It's that easy from behind the dugout to upper level. Vivid Seats has you covered for all the games that matter to you. Pro tip, buy tickets for your whole group, split the bill, and make progress towards your free ticket even faster. Just visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, life happens live. All right, Brett, so uh, we got about uh, five, ten minutes here. Um, why don't you kind of walk everyone through your strategy in this draft? Like, How did it take shape? Did you? When did you sort of know that you weren't really playing for 2022, and maybe what were some of your your favorite picks?
2: Yeah, I like when I start a startup dynasty draft, and this is I I like to go in without a formal strategy uh, because you just you don't know how many people in each league are going to be in what lanes. You've got your you've got your current. You got your people who want to compete right away. You got your people who may just completely punt on 2022, um, and you just you need at least four or five rounds of a of a dynasty draft to figure out how many of each there's going to be. Um, so what I wanted to do with my first, you know, at least three picks and probably first five picks are pick players that could fit into any strategy that I want to do. Uh, so i started off with longer wonder franco at the ninth pick i i wanted the ninth pick because i you know i i thought there was a pretty clear top nine um and i had assumed that i would probably end up with franco off the bat unless someone else dropped i was kind of thinking maybe there was a chance that kyle tucker well, might drop Oh,
1: okay okay i just wanted to so i texted you before the draft started and i said i think i know who you're gonna get but i don't uh-huh. want to tell you Um yes <laughs> and i the the guy i thought you were gonna get was kyle tucker but he
2: didn't yes you. yes i thought nine was yeah that nine was a little bit of a reach for tucker but i absolutely would have taken him over franco i i do i love kyle tucker um uh, but uh i took franco i took shane bieber with my second pick you know i wanted i i thought his combination of age and skill set fit the whatever dynasty league I was go, whatever dynasty team I was going to build um, and then same thing with Jared Kalinic in the third round so I had that strong base three guys that are going to get full playing time in 2022 but guys who are just as valuable to a team that might be contending in 2024 uh, at that point I was noticing that there were not as many prospects being taken as I thought, but it still wasn't entirely clear. So I kept it relatively high level for a couple more rounds. Um, And we talked about CJ Abrams. I took him in the fourth. I took Andrew Vaughn in the fifth, who I, I absolutely, I still love his bat. Um, I took Ian Anderson in the sixth, who I think is uh, pretty overlooked as a, as a solid young pitcher, mostly just because he doesn't have, you know, elite SP one upside, but that's fine. I don't, I don't really care. He can be, he can be my SP two for the next eight, nine years. And that's totally fine with me. Uh, At that point, then I knew I was going to start, there were so many prospects left that I I knew I was going to start, start firing them out at that, at that point. And I took four in a row from seven through 10. I took Marco Luciano, Alec Thomas, Luis Matos, and Jordan Walker all really big upside guys I, I I love Alec Thomas he's got a little bit less upside than the rest but he's he's gonna play a bunch this year um, I got Nolan Gorman and then at that point once we get past the 11th round you know my my goal for the rest of this draft is I, I don't want to end up with 25 prospects on this team that's not that's not my that's not my goal here Um, you know, I, there are things in the rules that that make you want players with playing time, which is which is good. And that's not necessarily even the reason that I'm doing it. But um, I, I don't want to be a 2025, 2026 ETA team. So my my goal is to find players now who I think have depressed values at the moment, but I think could be significantly could be ranked significantly higher in 2023 specifically. Um, so Noah Syndergaard I took in the 12th round, Lance McCullers, I took in the 14th round. I think those two are perfect examples of, of the guys that I want, you know, McCullers kind of the uncertainty of his injury is pushing him down, but, uh, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's a UCL issue. I that's my t-shirt that says it doesn't seem like a UCL issue is, is speaking volumes here, but, uh, You know, I think they're both guys that are going to be ranked notably higher in 2023. Uh, I can't physically make a dynasty team without taking Nick Madrigal, and that is totally fine. Uh, We don't need to talk about that anymore. I've talked Nick Madrigal to death. Um, I took a couple of prospects in there who I really thought were falling in uh, Oswald Peraza and Brett Batty. Uh, I think they're they're both guys who could see playing time at some point in 2022, but they're definitely guys who should be looking at major league time in 2023. Uh, we we talked about Cruz already, and then the last two picks I took are are bounce back guys that I like in in Victor Robles and Gary Sanchez. Robles is really only three four years removed from being one of the top prospects in all of baseball, especially from a fantasy standpoint. You know, they're in the 18th round of a 20 team dynasty league. You know, maybe there's a chance he gets that back and the defense should be good enough that he'll, you know, he'll play even if he can be just a, you know, average or slightly below average hitter. Um, and Gary Sanchez, I picked on the podcast. Yeah, we talked about that already. So that's, that's really what I'm looking for at this point. And I'm really curious to see how the second half of this is going to shake out because it's been a, it's been a really fun draft and it's been a really interesting one. The, the competition has been fantastic.
1: Yeah, uh you know there's there's been a handful of guys that I that have kind of come back to me, fallen back to me, I guess you could say, but they weren't necessarily guys I was surprised to have fall back to me just cuz I know I'm higher on them, but uh for the most part you got to you got to jump, you got to take a guy uh if you want to get him in this room. Um you know, a lot of a lot of sharp players, a lot of sharp picks. I know a lot of people are getting sniped. Um I I had a basically the exact same approach as you, where I I started Ozzie Albies and Eli Jimenez, and uh, just kind of wanted to keep my options open. I knew I could compete with that core or pivot to playing for 2023. Uh, I felt like Riley Green was the clear best player on the board for me in the third, and that uh, that kind of shaped the direction of things for me after that pick because i i know that i i could have taken riley green in the third and gone out and and won the league in year one but at that point i was kind of putting myself behind the eight ball a little bit and it's a it's a sharp 20 team room you know odds are that 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 might have been uh, a turning point in terms of just how competitive i could be and so from there i got uh i got a lot of my guys from there alec manoa in the fourth uh willie Adamis, uh not necessarily a guy i have a ton of but i uh, love the combination of age and uh playing time team context uh, i think that he's someone who uh could be considered a, a top 100 redraft guy uh next year um and just at his age i, I like that uh combination and Uh, Tristan Casas was a guy who I took ahead of, um, kind of where I had him ranked. Like there were, there were guys I had ranked ahead of him who were still on the board. And my explanation for that really is just the positional aspect. Uh, there just are very, very few, uh, corner infielders that I like in terms of building blocks in dynasty there are there are the old guard uh, that are they're productive but aren't going to be productive for that much longer and there just aren't a ton of uh high-end young corner infielders and I felt like Casas was kind of uh the last guy like that for me so taking him in the sixth was I think that surprised some people uh but that's kind of the rationale there um jesus sanchez obviously someone that i've been very high on took him in the seventh uh Luis severino uh his timetable does kind of fit my timetable it wasn't all that long ago that he was a a top five pitcher in dynasty tanner halk i expect to to break out this year with boston got him in the ninth uh we talked about mj melendez obviously i've been quite high on brian rocchio for a while and got him in the 11th miguel vargas is kind of along the same lines as, uh, Casas, you know, third base prospect, uh, who is fairly close to the majors who I don't really see any, any flaws with other than just, you know, when's he going to fit into the Dodgers plans. But in the 12th, I I like that, uh, Elliot the Cruz in the 13th. I will,
2: I will jump in for a second and say that I, I'm, I know I ended up taking Syndergaard in the in the twelfth, but if you hadn't taken Vargas there, I think Vargas would have ended up being my pick. Interesting, nice. I yeah, that was, I mean, I I like Vargas a lot as well.
1: Yeah, it's uh, there's really like he's another guy that'll be ranked higher on my next update. Like there's just I don't know what the flaws really are with him, other than just it's the Dodgers and who knows when he gets everyday playing time. But um, yeah, yeah, love love the bat there, and it does. All the reports I've seen suggest that he can stick at third, which is which is huge. Um, then uh, another third baseman, Heimer Candelaria, who I've uh, got a ton of exposure to this year. Got him in the 14th. Uh, Christian Hernandez was kind of... Um, I took Elliot de la Cruz and Christian Hernandez, and those are basically the only guys I expect to take. Uh, at least within the first 30 rounds who are that far away from the majors, uh, just two guys where I, I could see them being top 10 prospects um, fairly soon. So uh, that was a deviation for like, I, I mostly wanted guys who I thought could be up sometime this year and then could be kind of hitting their stride next year. But uh, Elliot the Cruz and Christian Hernandez were the exceptions there. Uh, Royce Lewis in the 16th, Pedro Leon in the 17th, two guys that are kind of boomer bust prospects for me this year who are are close to the majors. Uh, and then Eric Lauer, who I, I just not a, not a super high upside guy, but I like the, I like the deep pitch mix and the team context and the age. Um, and then I just took Luis heel, uh, live on the podcast, um, kind of another guy in, in sort of the Matt Brash uh, sort of vein where it's it's a couple of really nice pitches and then who knows if he throws enough strikes to start. But um, felt like that was fine just given where he is in terms of proximity to the majors. And that's where I'm at through 19 rounds. Um, Brett, I think you and I are going to it's, it's going to be interesting to sort of see how this evolves just given how similar our builds are. Um, and the fact that we're both kind of trying to do the same thing. Uh, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm yeah. interested to sort of see how the, the, the rules impact our ability to do that as well. I
2: know. Well, uh, we'll find out the same way everyone else will. It's a, uh, it's always fun to come up with a constitution and then figure out how it actually plays in real life. Cause even as, even as the people involved with creating the rules, you think, you know, what the effect is going to be you never quite know what the full effect is going to be so it'll be fun but i uh yeah i i saw i saw one of heel starts in somerset uh last year and uh it was he is <laughs> he, he throws hard it is a uh, it, it is fun to watch yeah
1: he's got uh about the easiest 98 miles an hour uh that i've seen since like giordano ventura um but uh you know even even if he ends up moving to the bullpen like i i could see him um being valuable but uh i've kept you too long brett i uh, really appreciate you taking the time um is there anything you want to
2: plug before i let you go um yeah check out uh check out baseball prospectus check out our fantasy content um we are uh, you yeah. know doing a lot of work on there. We're going to roll out a new update to the top uh, 500 Dynasty rankings uh, probably in the next week right before opening day. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's it. Baseball Prospectus, Roto-Wire, two great sites.
1: Absolutely. Uh, you should definitely <laughs> be subscribing to both. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, Brett, really appreciate you taking the time. This, was, this has been a really fun month getting this league off the ground. And uh, I think it's it's such a cool constitution. I'm really uh, thankful that you came up with all of it because I just did not. Uh, I would not have come up with honestly any of this. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you you should get uh, all the credit for um, the rules here, and I, I think they're they're really great. And I think this is going to be a league that uh, just lasts and is sustainable, and that that's kind of the whole point. And I'm really proud of the the group of uh, owners we put together here. So. Uh, Thanks for talking about it with me. Um, This has been the Roadwire Prospect Podcast. I'll be back next week. Thanks.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.